Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee inviting you to join me for the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past headlining some of the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are featuring comedian Don Adams, Raymond Burr, David Jansen, and a complete episode of Dragnet starring Jack Webb. When Jack Webb created Dragnet, he set a style and technique of detective drama that would be copied many times but never equaled. He brought to the role of the cop, Sergeant Friday, something that had never been heard before, realism. Here is Jack Webb as Sergeant Friday and Barton Yarborough as Ben Romero. Dragnet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet. It was Thursday, April 27th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working a night watch out of Bunko Fugitive detail. My partner is Ben Romero. The boss is Blaine Steed, captain of Bunko Fugitive. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from communications, and it was 6.45 p.m. when I got to room 38, squad room. Hi. Hi. How about some dinner? Well, we got one to check out first. Here's the teletype. Skipper just brought it in. Thanks. From San Rafael, huh? Pick up and hold for this department, one Alfred Garvey. Wanted for suspicion, forgery, robbery. This man poses as a fingerprint expert from San Rafael Police Department. Here's his mug pulled from the record bureau. Mm-hmm. We're informed Garvey is registered at the Fair Deal Hotel, your city. Where's that? Over near First and Broadway. Yeah. Please advise us on his arrest, and officers will arrive with warrant signed Chief Police Frank Kelly, San Rafael, California. Shouldn't take long to pick him up. All right. We can eat later, I guess. <laughs> Yes, sir. Can I help you? Police officers, would you look at this picture, please? All right. Maybe registered as Alfred Garvey. Garvey? Sure came in yesterday. The picture makes him look old. Is he in now? Uh, let's see. Garvey, room 307. The key's gone. He must be in. Thank you. Yes, sir. Elevator's down there at the end of the hall. Okay. The elevator's in use. Let's take the stairs. I'll wait for you here. I want to see the parade. Okay, man. Just one more flight. Yeah. Uh, 305, 307. Doors open. Let's have a look. Come on. Hmm. Empty. Nothing in the closet. Yeah. Pretty fast checkout. Came from downstairs. The lobby. Come on. Yep. Come on, hurry up. Yep. Hey, stop him! Stop that guy, police! The police! It's Maxwell. Max. Max, are you all right? He went out the door. Lucy. It was Garvey. He shot your friend. Call an ambulance. He ran out the door. He shot your friend. Come on, Ben. Call that ambulance, will you? The guy came down in the elevator. 
It was Garvey who flamed right and stopped him. Garvey shot him right in the face. All right, stop yelling, He huh? was terrible. Now, look, he's bleeding. You better do something. Will you shut up? Max. Max, how is it? Chest hurts. Yeah, all right, easy, huh? Garvey came out of the elevator fast with a gun. All right, take it easy now. Joe, I got communications there blocking off the area. That's fine. Watch that front door, will you? Keep those people out of here. Yeah, yeah. Chest. I'll be here in a minute, boy. Call the wife, Eleanor. Ambulance is here. Yeah. He looks bad. Well, he's not going to get any worse. Hmm? He's dead. The name on the personnel report said John Warren Maxwell, Sergeant, Los Angeles Police Department, badge number 10377. Nearest living relative, wife, Eleanor Jean Maxwell. Dependents, John Maxwell, Jr., six years. Deborah Lee Maxwell, two years. Death in line of duty, April 27, 7.15 p.m. John Maxwell's body was removed from Georgia Street to the county morgue. At 7.45, a special detail of men from Homicide and Bunko Fugitive were on the scene to aid in the investigation of the killing. The neighborhood where the Fairdale Hotel was located was covered for a half mile around. We had a single lead to work with. In checking out the different taxicab stands in the neighborhood, we found out that three separate fares had been picked up within two blocks of the hotel four minutes after the shooting. Ben and I went to the offices of the taxicab company. The cabs in question were called in and the way bills were checked. The times of the three different trips were listed and so was the address of each destination. We copied down the addresses and then interviewed the drivers. Ben and I, along with Ricketts and Chandler from Homicide, drove out to the 14th Street address, another small transient hotel. The clerk on duty identified Garvey from his mugshot. He said the suspect had called at the hotel at about 7.45 that night and asked to see one of the guests, uh, Mrs. Lorraine Thomas. The clerk said he told Garvey Mrs. Thomas was out, that she hadn't been there for four days. Ricketts and Chandler went on stakeout in the lobby of the hotel, and Ben and I went up to the second floor to stake out Mrs. Thomas's room. Friday, 11.25 a.m. Lorraine Thomas returned to the hotel and was taken into custody. We took her to homicide and questioned her for more than an hour. She admitted that she was acquainted with Garvey, but that's all. One o'clock. We went to Clifton's cafeteria for lunch. Here, you take this tray. Mm -hmm. Silverware? Mm -hmm. You were the first one he ran to after the shooting. Oh, Garvey doesn't have many friends in Los Angeles. Maybe that's why he looked me up. Why do you think Garvey went to your hotel after the shooting? I don't know. Maybe he figured you'd hide him. I don't know why he should. He killed a man and headed straight for your place. Doesn't make you look too good. I can't help that. When did you first meet Garvey? About three years ago, up in St. Helena. You might as well keep your nose clean. How do you mean? We're going to reach him, Miss Thomas. You might as well tell us all you know. <laughs> look, if Garvey's killing people, I don't want to have any more to do with him. We do. Now, where is he? I told you, I don't know. Squash, please. You said you had a little boy, didn't you, Miss Thomas? Do we have to talk about it now? I thought we were going to have lunch. How old's your little boy? He's seven years old. Where is he now? He's in school up in San Francisco. Isn't this line going awful slow? It's lunchtime. You know that cop that Garvey killed last night? Mashed potatoes, country gravy. Did you hear what I said? Yes, I know he killed a cop. He had a little boy, too. There's nothing I can do. 
No potatoes, thanks. Yeah, there's something you can do, Miss Thomas. You can tell us where Garvey is. If I know, I'd tell you. French fries, please. You're kidding us, Miss Thomas, but we're not going to kid you. You know a lot more about this than you're telling us. Maybe I do, but I'm scared. Who are you afraid of? Look, why can't you count me out of this? I don't want any part of it. You're in all the way. The only way you're going to get out is to tell us what you know. He'll kill me. Suppose something happens to me, nobody's going to worry about my kid. You don't have to worry. He's not going to find out. Uh, no, no dessert, please. They'll both kill me. Both? Who's the other one? What's the use? Trouble no matter what you try to do. Nothing but trouble. Garvey's working with somebody, is that it? His name's Jack Fleming. Yeah. They made me promise to cover for him. Give him a place to hide out whenever the heat was on. Then you know where they are. No, I don't, and that's the truth. Why do they need a place to hide out? You said Garvey killed a cop. What about Fleming? Hey, Joe, we better move along. Oh, I'm sorry. What about Fleming? We're going to pull some jobs. All right, we can skip the dessert. Come on. Saturday, April 29th. Ben and I, Ricketts and Chandler, went on stakeout at the Three Kings Liquor Store on Wilshire Boulevard. It was a large, modern place, and it did a volume business, especially on Saturday night. Ricketts and Chandler covered the store from the outside. Ben and I were stationed in the supply room at the rear of the place, where we had the main counter and most of the store in full view. We set up a prearranged signal with the clerk on duty, and if and when Garvey and Fleming showed up, the clerk was to accidentally knock an empty bottle off the counter. We waited until midnight. Another customer. Yeah, man. Can't see his face too well with that hat on, can you? That's Fleming. Come on. Police officers, get your hands up. Watch it, Joe. You're hitting. He's going out the front. Come on. Ricketts and Chandler stopped him. Yeah, he's down. Watch him. Get the gun. Yeah. Yeah, here, here it is. That's Fleming, all right. Ricketts, call an ambulance. What's the score? Yeah, looks like one in the shoulder and legs, too. What about Garvey? I don't know. What do you think? Fleming stopped all the slugs. Yeah. Let's ask him. The wounded suspect was treated at Georgia Street Receiving Hospital and then booked into the prison ward at the General Hospital. At 11 a.m. the next day, we questioned him, but he refused to admit that he even knew Alfred Garvey. We re-questioned Fleming for the next three days with no results. The stakeouts continued. The search went on. There was no response to our APB. Garvey was still at large. As far as we were concerned, there was only one way to get directly to Garvey, and that was through Fleming. We called on Lorraine Thomas again and asked her that if she would try to get some information on Fleming, try to get him to talk and to tell her where Garvey was. Why can't you let me out of this? I look, figure it this way. You knew about Fleming and Garvey. You knew they were in town. You knew what they were up to. You didn't break your back to save that dead cop's life. Garvey shot him. I did You knew he was a killer. You knew he had a gun. What do you want me to do? Get close to Fleming. Visit him every day till he talks. But he doesn't trust me. I told you. Then get him to trust you, will you? Do favors for him. He wants to contact friends to raise money for a lawyer. Help him do that. Suppose he finds out about the holdup. That I told you about it. He's got a long stretch ahead of him. He won't bother you. They'll kill me if they find out. They wouldn't wait a minute. They won't find out. All right. On the morning of May 8th, suspect Jack Fleming was removed from his private room and wheeled down to the x-ray lab on the pretext of treatment. 
While he was absent, a dictaphone was placed in his room by a sound crew from the crime lab. Fleming was then returned. That afternoon, while Ben and I listened in on earphones in the next room, Lorraine Thomas paid her first visit to Fleming. We had briefed her on how to proceed in getting the suspect to talk, in particular to reveal Garvey's hideout. It was a slow process. For the next 15 days, between the hours of 2 and 4 in the afternoon, Mrs. Thomas visited Fleming while Ben and I monitored their conversation in the adjoining room. For 15 days, despite all her shows of confidence, Fleming refused to confide. He was sullen and close-mouthed. Some afternoons, he would hardly speak to her. On the 16th day, his mood seemed to be improving. Come here. Hmm? I don't want to talk loud. The cops might have bugged this room. Yeah. Sorry. A little closer. Okay. Tonight, I want you to go to George's joint, the Blue Moon, down on South Flower. And yeah. And ask for George at the bar. He's usually around from 11 on. Uh-huh. Uh, tell George you've seen me. He'll know it. Then tell him to take you to Al. To take me to Al? Yeah, Al Garvey. George knows the place. Yeah. Okay, Jack. Well, yeah. It's a long wait. Get paid. Let's go. 10.45 p.m. A detail of three cars followed Lorraine Thomas to the Blue Moon Tavern on South Flower Street. We parked down the block and watched her go in. At 15 minutes past 11, she came out with a small fat man in a dark blue suit. They got in a tan-colored coupe and drove south. The cruiser cars, using three-way radio, tailed the coupe alternately out through the Echo Park area and then back to the starting point at the Blue Moon Tavern. Lorraine Thomas went back into the bar with a man and 20 minutes later came out, caught a taxi and took it to her hotel on 14th Street. We drove back to the office. It was five minutes past 1 a.m. That's it. I get it. Monko Fugitive, Friday. Lorraine Thomas, Sergeant. He showed me the place George did. Where? We drove past it. 1032 Alamo, apartment three. Is Garvey there now? No. George said he's supposed to be there tomorrow in the afternoon, 5 o'clock. George said I'll have to go alone. Are they watching the place? I think so. Garvey's staying with another man. They got guns. You know where Garvey is now? George wouldn't tell me. We can't afford to tip our hand. How do we know Garvey will be there at 5 o'clock tomorrow? That's just it. We don't. May 9th, 3 p.m. An immediate stakeout was placed at the suspected hideout. A detail of 20 plainclothesmen began filtering into the neighborhood in the vicinity of 1032 Alamo Street. The three-story apartment house at that address was checked thoroughly and then covered on all sides. 4.35 p.m., the men in the detail took up their assigned positions. We waited. Hold that light, will you, Jim? Yeah. Mm. Thanks. Awful lot of trouble for that punk Garvey. Be more trouble if he doesn't show. No such luck. Hmm? Tan coupe coming down the street behind us. Same one we tailed last night. A girl driving. There's two guys with her. Well, Garvey's one of them. They're pulling up. Ready? Now, wait a minute. All right, let's go. Police officers, hold it right there. Throw him in, Garvey. You haven't got a chance. Hell, break for the house! All right, hold it, Ben. That's it. Both of them. Come on. Both dead. Garvey. The other guy. 
Rotten case. It's a rotten business. Comedian Don Adams joined Raymond Burr and David Jansen one evening for this parody of Dragnet. Now, this is the city, Los Angeles. Now, take my word for it. It says somewhere. My partner's Frank Smith. The chief is Captain Foreman. It was Thursday, July 12th. We were working the day watch out of homicide. Somebody reported a murder at an apartment building on Sunset Strip. It's one of those buildings that rented only to single people. It was our job to find the answers. Find them fast. My name's Friday. I'm a cop. You the manager? Yeah, I'm the manager. Police officers, my name is Sergeant Friday. This is my partner, Frank. Hi. Hi, I'm the manager. Checks out. What does? He told me the same thing. How long have you been manager? Six months. Hey, Leo. Good night, honey. <laughs> See you at the pool, Leo. <laughs> Thanks for everything, Leo. <laughs> so you've been working here six months? Almost quit yesterday. How's that? Boss wanted me to take a day off. Somebody reported a killing here. Right. Know anything about it? Yeah, room 210. Room 210? Uh-huh, 210. Mind if we say it? The room? The body. It's gone. How's that? We got a rule here. What rule? Dead or alive. Yeah. Checkout time is 3 o'clock. <laughs> 11.35 a.m. Frank and I decided to question one of the neighbors of the murder victim. Yes? Hi, ma'am. Hi, ma'am. We're police officers. Police officers? That's right, ma'am. We're investigating a murder, ma'am. Did you hear anything around midnight last night? Nothing unusual. Yeah? Just a few screams and some gunshots. You don't find that unusual, ma'am? Not in a swinging singles building. <laughs> Did you know the murder victim? I just met him an hour ago. Really? He's been dead since last night. I thought so. How's that? He was kind of dull. <laughs> Why don't we look around, ma'am? Go ahead. I have nothing to hide. What do you think, Joe? About what? About her? <laughs> oh, let's take her down to headquarters. What for? How's that? She hasn't done anything. Maybe she will when we get her down there. 4.05 p.m. Frank and I were still getting nowhere. Someone told us a new swinging single had just moved in. We thought maybe she could help us. Well, like, uh, what's going on, man? I'm Sergeant Friday, ma'am. This is my partner, Frank. I didn't think you were Simon and Garfunkel. We're just trying to get the facts, ma'am. Yeah? We're police officers. Huh, the fuzz. I did it. Did what, ma'am? You name it, I did it all. Were you friendly? Who with? With the victim. No. We heard different, ma'am. We heard you were engaged to him. You didn't ask if we were engaged? Yeah. You asked if we were friendly. Seems a little strange, ma'am. What's that? Woman your age? Yeah. Being engaged to a man 35 years old? I'm only 22? That's hard to believe, ma'am. Hmm. You live in a swinging signals building for two months and see what you look like. Six seventeen p.m. We decided to talk to the manager again. We had a feeling he wasn't telling us everything he knew. 
I thought you guys would be back. How's that? I didn't tell you everything I knew. Good night, Leo. Good night, Leo. Good night, Leo. Good night, Leo. Want to tell us now? No. Well, one thing's for sure. What's that? You're not making our job easy. It's not easy being a cop, is it? It sure isn't. Everybody puts you down. How's it going, Dick Tracy? How many jaywalkers did you pinch today? And there's always the one who wants to know how many apples you stole. All at once, you lost your first name. You're a cop, a flatfoot, a bull. A dick, John Law, you're the fuzz. The heat, you're poison, you're trouble, you're bad news. They call you everything, but never a policeman. It's not much of a life unless you like working Saturdays, Sundays, holidays, at a job that doesn't pay overtime. Now, the pay's adequate. If you count your pennies, you can put your kid through college. But you better plan on seeing Europe on your television set. You'll rub elbows with all the elite. Addicts, thieves, bums, liars, cheats, con men, the classes kid row in the heartbreak. Underfed kids, beaten kids, molested kids, lost kids, crying kids, homeless kids, hit and run kids, broken arm kids, broken leg kids, broken head kids, sick kids, dying kids, and dead kids. Four years in uniform and you'll have the ability, the experience, and maybe the desire to become a detective. If you like to fly with the seat of your pants, this is where you belong. For every crime that's committed, you've got three million suspects to choose from. Most of the time, you'll have few facts and a million hunches. You'll run down leads that dead in on you. You'll work all night stakeouts that could last a week. You'll do legwork until you're sure you talk to everybody in the city. People who saw it happen but really didn't. People who insist they did but really didn't. People who remember, those who try to forget, those who tell the truth and those who lie. And the paperwork. You'll fill out a report when you're right. You'll fill out a report when you're wrong. You'll fill out one when you're not sure. You'll fill out one listing all your leads. You'll make out a report on the reports you made. You'll learn to live with the district attorney, testify in court, defense attorneys, prosecuting attorneys, judges, juries, witnesses. Sometimes you won't be happy with the outcome. But there's also this. There are over 5,000 men in this city who know that being a policeman is an endless, glamorous, thankless job that must be done. I know it, too. That's what a cop is. Well, one thing's for sure. What's that? I'll never ask that question again. <laughs> That wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio. This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next week for more shows and personalities from Radio's Golden Days. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service.